Thank you. That concludes general questions. Before we move to First Minister's questions, I invite members to join me in welcoming to the gallery His Excellency Teodoro Loxine, Ambassador of the Philippines to the United Kingdom. The next item of business is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Last night, the Deputy First Minister was forced to admit to this Parliament that the UK COVID inquiry sent a request to the Scottish Government for messages related to the pandemic in February of this year. But last week, the Deputy First Minister claimed the request was made just over a month ago. First Minister, those two statements are clearly contradictory. So how can they both be true? First Minister. Presiding officer, the Deputy First Minister was clear in her statement, and you can check the official record uh, for this, of course, when she made her statement last week. She did mention that there was initial requests from the inquiry. In terms of my own response to Anna Sauer, I, of course, was talking about a very particular issue around specific WhatsApp groups. But let me be clear. Let me be absolutely Let's hear clear the First Minister, that members. I accept, I fully accept that the Scottish Government clearly interpreted the requests from the inquiry in a way that was too narrow. And for any shortcomings on our behalf that Let's have caused hear the First any Minister, please. For any shortcomings on our behalf that has caused any distress to the families of those who have been bereaved by COVID, then I apologise unreservedly, as I did last week, and I, I reiterate and re-emphasise that apology this week. What we have done on the back, of course, of the request from the inquiry have ensured that the government has released 14,000 messages to the inquiry. And when it comes to my own witness statement, that includes reams of WhatsApp messages unredacted. That is, of course, presiding officer, in very stark contrast to a prime minister who not only dragged the inquiry through courts, but has refused to hand over his own WhatsApp messages. Douglas Ross. This is the third week I've raised this at First Minister's Questions, and it's... Well, if, if the SNP don't like it, I don't think they would have liked the First Minister's attempt at an excuse there, because the First Minister peddled the same false claims as the Deputy First Minister. Let's be very clear what he said to this chamber last week. Hamza Yusuf said, and I quote, the messages were asked for in September, just a matter of weeks ago. That's what he said, black and white in the official record. But back in February, the UK COVID inquiry asked for, and I quote, internal and external emails text messages or WhatsApp messages held by the Scottish Government. The evidence is clear. Will he admit that in last week's session he didn't tell the truth? Yeah. First Minister. Presiding uh, Officer, I uh, absolutely uh, refute that. I told uh, and have told the Chamber uh, that, of course, they can check the official record. Clearly, I was talking about specific WhatsApp groups. Where I do accept fully uh, from the inquiry is that we have interpreted their requests uh, too uh, narrowly, and subsequently, having having done so, Let having done so, the first we have minister. then supplied 14,000 messages to the inquiry. In my witness statement, I have, of course, 
handed over uh, the WhatsApp messages that I have unredacted to the inquiry. In very stark contrast to the UK government that took the inquiry to court, lost that court battle, and the Prime Minister refuses to hand over his WhatsApp messages. So, uh, once again, I say to Douglas Ross, we don't fear scrutiny. I suspect his party absolutely does. Douglas Ross. That's, that's uh, a very brave answer from the First Minister. <laughs> when his predecessor and others in government have been deleting messages, running away from scrutiny. But let's look very carefully, because the First Minister seems to be struggling with this, as to what was said last week. The Deputy First Minister told Parliament it has been just over a month since messages were requested. The First Minister claimed in this chamber the messages were asked for in September just a matter of weeks ago. That is what was said. That is in the official record of this Parliament. The two most senior people in the Scottish Government stated that the UK COVID inquiry only requested the messages in September. It wasn't a slip of the tongue. It wasn't an honest mistake. It was deliberate. Now the UK COVID inquiry, tasked with getting answers for grieving families, has had to demand the SNP comes to this Parliament to tell the truth about the timeline of when the requests were made. So why did Hamza Youssef and the SNP make these false claims? First Minister. I would urge Douglas Ross to once again read the statement from the Deputy First Minister, which of course says in black and white, well if you have, if Douglas Ross has, he will see in black and white that the Deputy First Minister references initial requests. It is entirely understandable and of course appropriate for the inquiry to ask us to then provide the absolute full context of requests, which we did without any hesitation, without arguing back with the inquiry to ensure that we were transparent and accountable. Now, I understand why Douglas Ross wants to obsess about process. We've, of course, handed over the 14,000 messages. I've handed the over Minister. reams of WhatsApp messages from uh, myself. And I, I absolutely acknowledge the distress that has been caused to families that have been bereaved by COVID and apologise unreservedly to them. While the process is important, the substance of those messages are important too. And what I can say, I can say with total confidence, even though I have not seen some of the messages, of course, from individual witnesses, what I can say, what I can say with total confidence is there was not a single Scottish government minister that said, let the bodies pile up high, presiding officer. That, of course, that, of course, presiding officer. Thank you. That, of Thank course, you. presiding officer was none other than Boris Johnson, a man that Douglas Ross served under in government, a man that Boris Johnson, a man that Douglas Ross, of course, defended to the hilt, a man Briefly, that Douglas First Ross Minister. claimed was honest. Douglas Ross should be ashamed of himself for his defence of Boris Johnson. Douglas Ross. Hamza Youssef should not just be ashamed of himself for that answer, but the way he is treating this parliament with contempt and the families of grieving victims. Let us be very clear. The UK COVID inquiry repeatedly asked the SNP government for WhatsApp messages. They asked if the messages existed last year. They asked for the messages themselves in February of this year and again in March. 
and in July and in August. But the First Minister and Deputy First Minister claim none of this ever happened. They have been caught red-handed in a cover-up. They knowingly told this chamber statements that were false. Isn't it beyond doubt that Hamza Youssef and Shona Robeson misled this parliament? First Minister. Not the case, presiding officer. And I would refer Douglas Ross once again to the official record where the Deputy First Minister in black and white talks about initial requests. What I absolutely uh, fully accept is that as a government, we interpreted those requests too narrowly. What we have done to take corrective action Members. is to make sure we submitted 14,000 messages. What I have done, of course, is made sure that I have handed over the messages that I have in unredacted form. But let's not take away from the substance instead of the process issues that Douglas Ross, of course, is so obsessed with. We had this week Simon Case describing working in Boris Johnson's government as taming wild animals. That, of course, was a government that Douglas Ross was a member of. I can't even read out the messages that Dominic Cummering uh, handed to the inquiry. However, we heard from that inquiry. We heard Douglas Ross won't want to hear this. Briefly, I can understand First why Minister. he's trying to shout it down. But also, this is an exceptionally important point. In the inquiry in the last couple of weeks, we have heard there was a deliberate attempt by the UK government to exclude devolved governments from decision-making. Yeah. And of course, during the early days of the pandemic, Douglas Ross was a minister within the Scotland office. Did he purposely try to exclude devolved administrations uh, and indeed this government you, from decision-making? Uh, so at a time when people First needed, minister. right across the UK, serious leadership during a serious time, they had wild animals, according to Simon Case, running the UK government. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Presenting officer, bereaved families and their lawyers are watching these exchanges. And I don't think we should use Boris Johnson as our measure of success in Scotland. <laughs> it couldn't be clearer. The First Minister has lost control of his government and he appears to have misled Parliament on more than one occasion. So let's focus on the substance, because this matters. The COVID pandemic was our country's most difficult period in living memory. That's why learning the lessons and getting the answers are so important. We were promised full transparency and cooperation by this government, but they have failed. Because WhatsApp messages are not, are not the only evidence that the government is withholding from the inquiry. The legal advice that the government has provided has not been complete and in some cases almost entirely redacted. The inquiry's lawyer has said that this means the inquiry is constrained from fully carrying out its function. First Minister, why is your government hiding the legal advice and not cooperating with the inquiry? First Minister. Whatever information we can provide, and when it comes to legal advice, obviously Anna Sawar knows uh, I can't uh, comment on uh, legal advice. Uh, where there is, of course, the ability to hand over legal advice unredacted, then I would expect the Scottish Government to do so. And of course, I'm more than happy, after this exchange of First Minister's questions, to have the appropriate conversations with the law officers. But of course, we have to ensure that legal privilege uh, is, uh, of course, maintained, where that is our legal responsibility to do so. Anna Sarwar says that we are not complying. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. We have handed over 
14,000 WhatsApp messages. I have handed over the WhatsApp messages. I have an unredacted form. I haven't decided what's relevant. I've handed all of my messages over to the inquiry for the inquiry to decide what is relevant. Lana Sawar is absolutely right. Uh, those families who have been bereaved by COVID absolutely want answers. And what I can say with the 19,000 documents we've handed over, with the 14,000 WhatsApp messages we've handed over, with the WhatsApp messages I have handed over, we are a government that intends absolutely and unequivocally to fully cooperate with both the Scottish and the UK public inquiries. Anna Sarwar. The First Minister says he's cooperating, but I'm not sure if he doesn't understand or he doesn't know in terms of the question I asked him, because he clearly hasn't still read the transcript from the COVID inquiry. Council, got it there, well, read it. First Minister, read it. Because the Council to the inquiry has made it clear that they have asked twice on the 3rd of August and the 14th of August for unredacted legal advice, and they have not received it. And this does not seem to be a fight that the COVID inquiry is having with the UK Tory government. Because there were major decisions during the pandemic which presumably had legal advice, such as lockdowns, discharge to care homes, and do not resuscitate notices. That's why this is so important. And hiding this crucial evidence is an affront to every victim of COVID, their families, and everyone who lived under lockdowns and closures. So in reference to the First Minister's first answer, the government has handed over legal advice in full to judicial inquiries before. The Trams Inquiry, the Infected Blood Inquiry, and the Scottish Child Abuse Inquiry. So the secrecy and evasion must stop. Will he hand over the legal advice in full to the COVID inquiry? First Minister. You see, in, in, in Anas Sawar's uh, question, he does get to the nub of the issue, which is, of course, this government has cooperated with inquiries fully in the past. Where we are able to release legal advice, we will absolutely do that. But Anas Sawar has to accept that there is, first of all, a process that has to be gone through. And secondly, each bit of legal advice has to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis. That's why he is absolutely right. We have provided legal advice in previous inquiries. Where we can do so in this inquiry, I absolutely expect every single document, including legal advice, to be handed over to the UK COVID inquiry, to the Scottish COVID inquiry as well. And I go back to the central point, quite rightly, for those families who have been bereaved by COVID, want to know, will we cooperate? 19,000 documents have been handed over. 14,000 WhatsApp messages, mainly WhatsApp messages, have been handed over. My WhatsApp messages, as well as messages I know of other ministers who have been public about the messages they have handed over, have been submitted to this inquiry. We take, uh, fully, uh, we take absolutely uh, uh, seriously our responsibility, not just to provide documents, but where possible, the legal advice. But of course, there are legal issues around legal privilege which have to be considered, Presiding Officer. Anna Sarwar. Presiding Officer, it's clear from that answer again that the First Minister is sinking, not swimming, and is completely and utterly out of his depth. He has... has... It's, not me, it's not me saying that the legal advice has been redacted and not handed over. It's the COVID inquiry on the 3rd and the 14th of August asking for the information and still not provided by this government. That's WhatsApp messages deleted, legal advice redacted, and a different story every day. And even now, questions remain that the First Minister refuses to answer. He won't tell us how many people have failed to comply with the Do Not Destroy notices, even though the inquiries say there is no confidentiality issue. But, Presiding Officer, there's more. 
It's been reported that SNP ministers and special advisers use SNP and private email accounts to communicate. What is not clear yes. is if these emails have been handed in full to the COVID inquiry. So can the First Minister tell us, in the spirit of full transparency, have any emails from SNP accounts been handed to the COVID inquiry? If so, how many? And if not, why not? Can I remind the First Minister again, this is about families and about those who have lost loved ones during COVID. So before he answers, can, he, can I just remind him that we need accurate answers the first time? First Minister. Can I say to uh, Anasawa that I'm not arguing with him about the point that the information has been redacted. I'm saying to him the reason why it has been redacted is because of issues I, I uh, can confirm around uh, legal privilege. And therefore, of course, a discussion would have to take place with our law officers in relation to what can be unredacted. Where we can absolutely send information unredacted is my full expectation as the individual who leads the, the government that that information is provided in full in unredacted form. And to give them an example of that, the way that I am leading by example, is the WhatsApp messages I've handed over have been handed over unredacted. Uh, the, 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 information, the information that has been provided has been provided by me in unredacted form. As for any other form of communication and any other email address or informal or formal communication, it's fully my expectation that that is handed over. Now, of course, I do not have sight of individual ministers or witnesses' statements. From a corporate position, of course, I can confirm that any relevant information we hold will be handed over. And let me say once again that for the families of those who have been bereaved by COVID, this government will fully comply with both the UK inquiry and with the Scottish public inquiry. Question number three, Gillian Mackay. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government is supporting renters who are struggling with the cost of living. First Minister. I am, of course, uh, acutely aware of the pressure facing renters. I am pleased that this Parliament voted to extend the Cost of Living Act for a final six months to March, which continues to provide protection and reassurance to renters by capping private sector rents. That, alongside our agreement with social landlords to keep rent increases this year well below inflation. Scotland is leading the way in support for tenants. This year, we are making £83.7 million available to local authorities to spend on discretionary housing payments, more per person than any other UK nation. And that's why I repeat my call to the UK government to scrap its ongoing freeze on local housing allowance rates, which hits hardest on tenants on the lowest incomes. Julian Mackay. I thank the First Minister for that answer and, like him, I strongly support our emergency legislation to cap rents and reduce evictions led by Patrick Harvey last year. And I welcome last week's Court of Session decision to reject a challenge to that legislation, seeing that the challenge fell far short of what is required in order to demonstrate that the Act disproportionately interferes with the property rights of landlords. With that court decision in mind, does the First Minister agree with me that it is time for landlord bodies to accept the overwhelming need for action to control high rents and to improve tenants' rights, and so work constructively with this Government on the Housing Bill when it is introduced this parliamentary year? First Minister. Yeah, I do, and I welcome the Court's decision uh, last week. I want to work constructively with all stakeholders to deliver a system of rent control that works for Scotland. I'm pleased that a number of landlord representatives bodies are working with us through the private rented sector stakeholder group and a range of organisations representing the views of tenants, investors and developers. 
uh, are represented. I'm keen this approach continues as we move towards the introduction uh, of the bill. The Deputy First Minister, myself, Mary McCallan, uh, had a, a good session with our investor uh, panel last week. It's made very clear from that investor panels that those who want to invest uh, in property and affordable housing will do so in places that do have rent controls. We've seen that, in fact, uh, in Europe. So we're keen to engage uh, with everybody uh, in relation to this very issue. There's no other government in the UK that is as ambitious as this government with our emergency legislation. And that was on top, of course, of our legislation to end no-fault evictions in 2016, a move which the UK government, I, I know, is now also considering. Um, for clarity, can I check, Ms Adamson, was your supplementary on this question? Thank you. We'll move on to question number four, and I call Colette Stevenson. Uh, thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government is doing to alleviate poverty in Scotland in light of reports that the UK is in violation of international law in relation to poverty levels. First Minister. The Scottish Government is allocating almost £3 billion to support policies which tackle poverty and protect people as far as possible during the ongoing cost of living crisis this year. This includes delivering, of course, our game-changing Scottish child payment, tripling our fuel and security fund to £30 million. While Westminster government sign up to prolonged austerity, this government will continue to use every single lever available to lift people out of poverty. We know the devastating impact UK government measures are having driving more people into poverty. That's why it's frankly no surprise to hear the UN Special Rapporteur on Poverty state the UK government is in violation of international law over poverty levels. That is, however, uh, shocking. And we agree with the UN that universal credit is grossly insufficient. That's why we continue to call on the UK government to introduce an essentials guarantee ensuring social security adequately covers the cost of vital essentials. Colette Stevenson. Yesterday, the Trussell Trust released astonishing figures showing that 1.5 million emergency food parcels were distributed across the UK between April and September, the most parcels that the network has ever provided over the summer months. A 16% increase UK-wide, but mitigated to 9% in Scotland. This is a further evidence of the utter misery caused by what the UN Special Rapporteur on Extreme Poverty called the Tories' quote, grossly insufficient welfare system. Does the First Minister agree with me that the UK Government must introduce a universal credit essentials guarantee immediately and that the only way to protect people in Scotland from Westminster's cruel policies is for this Parliament to have the full powers of an independent country? First Minister. Colette Stevenson uh, there uh, articulating, speaking powerfully about some of the evidence from the Trussell Trust and all we get is groans and moans yeah. from the Conservative yeah, benches. Yeah. When the Trussell Trust is mentioned or poverty is mentioned, that tells yeah. its own story, yeah. does it not, uh, presiding uh, officer? Uh, I agree with Colette Stevenson that the UK Government must urgently fix the fundamental flaws with universal credit that are driving destitution and, of course, driving up food bank uh, use. The Trussell Trust report uh, is astonishing, as Colette uh, Stevenson says. It makes clear that the UK government's social security system is the driving, or one of the driving factors pushing people towards hunger. That's why I do support, this government supports the calls for an essentials guarantee to be applied to universal credit and other reserve benefits, ensuring that social security benefits 
adequately cover the cost of vital essentials. But wouldn't it be better, far better, if we were able to extricate ourselves from a Westminster system that is causing such immense harm to our people? Far better we stopped having to take money from health, education, transport to mitigate Westminster harm and instead had the full powers of an independent country, not just to reduce poverty, but to eradicate it. Question number five, Miles Briggs. Um, thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what support the Scottish Government is offering to NHS Lothian to contact the parents and guardians of over 23,000 children who reportedly may have received substandard testing to identify deafness, including support to identify other young children who have not received the required standard of auditory brainstem response testing. First Minister. Well, firstly, I want to say that I recognise the anxiety and the anger that children and families affected by this situation will quite reasonably feel. Miles Briggs and I met when I was previously Cabinet Secretary for Health and Social Care when this issue uh, first emerged. And I understand the anger, not just of the families and the children involved, but those advocating for them. Uh, the Scottish Government is working in partnership with NHS Lothian to ensure continued progress against the actions of the British Academy of Audiology report, the BAA advised that not all of the 23,000 children seen during the period between 2009 and 2018 required to be reviewed. Those who did were offered a retest by NHS Lothian based on the timeline association with the Scottish Public Service Ombudsman investigation uh, and the sample size of the BAA reviews. And my understanding is families are being directly contacted and offered a meeting with the, with, uh, the NHS uh, Lothian senior management team to discuss and agree an appropriate care plan with a focus on ensuring the right support is in place. Miles Briggs. Um, can I thank the First Minister for that answer? The series of failures in NHS Lothian that have denied children with hearing loss the chance to be identified early and receive hearing and speech and language therapy has been catastrophic for children and families here in Edinburgh. NHS Lothian have never confirmed how many parents or guardians have been contacted or indeed how many of the 23,000 children have been reassessed to date. It's unacceptable that families here in Edinburgh are having to fight for their children to access health services <coughs> and the educational support needs uh, which they will need as well. So can I ask the First Minister if the Scottish Government will today agree to all parents and guardians um, being contacted and if needed, urgently reassessed. And given the many outstanding concerns which have been contained within the inquiries to date, what consideration have ministers given to the need for a public inquiry into the audiology scandal here in NHS Lothian and other cases which are being reported in other health boards? First Minister. There's a number of questions uh, that Miles Briggs uh, and, uh, asks me, and I'll ensure that the Cabinet Secretary for Health and Social Care provides uh, full detail uh, in terms of those uh, questions. In relation to uh, how many uh, families have been contacted. I will ensure uh, that uh, if we can provide that information that it is provided uh, to Miles Briggs. My understanding uh, of, of course, the BAA uh, review that was uh, done is that they uh, ended up uh, stratifying and, and, and ensuring that uh, uh, those children affected were in various different categories, seven uh, categories. Uh, and of course, those children where there were significant concerns reported um, were, uh, of course, uh, brought in uh, for uh, additional uh, retesting or, indeed, uh, there was uh, additional uh, clinical uh, oversight uh, given to their particular case. In terms of uh, all of the children, uh, the, the 23,000 uh, children, uh, I will ensure that Miles Briggs has given more information around uh, that stratification, that categorisation, uh, but I do want him to have a level of assurance that those who are most seriously impacted 
uh, therefore highest at risk, uh, were indeed given additional uh, clinical uh, care. In terms of lessons learned, I think it's a very important point that Miles uh, Briggs uh, raises. Uh, we ensured, of course, that the lessons from this unacceptable uh, catalogue of failures uh, was, of course, cascaded to health boards right across uh, the country. And, of course, we continue to make sure uh, that our health boards are vigilant to learning any of the lessons uh, from this very so sorry episode. But I will ensure that information about um, how many children have been seen, if we're able to provide that information, make sure that is provided to Miles Briggs. Daniel Johnson. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. The, the issue we face is, despite detailed answers, there continue to be parents who feel that they have been missed and who struggle to get help. What we do know is that there's 23,000 children potentially affected, but less than 2,000 have had a detailed review. So what work is being taken to ensure that the sampling uh, techniques that have been used are comprehensive? Do we know what number of uh, children are, uh, on the basis of that sampling have yet to be identified? And do we actually also have to look at the time period? Because nobody before 2017 has been looked at at all. First Minister. Again, I will uh, ensure that uh, we give full answers to, to Daniel Johnson in relation to uh, the, uh, the, the, the 23,000 uh, children. Uh, my understanding is, of course, that that wasn't a decision necessarily taken by NHS Lothian, but we know by the British uh, Academy of Audiology. Uh, they, they designed uh, uh, and conducted uh, the audit. Uh, and then, uh, of course, as I have said, the children were categorised uh, into various different categories with, of course, those that were the most high risk uh, then being given further uh, clinical uh, oversight. Uh, what I, what, uh, if there are particular parents who feel, and families who feel, uh, that they have been, uh, that, that, that their child hasn't had uh, the appropriate level of attention or care and, would, uh, and are experiencing uh, significant impacts, by, or any impact, frankly, uh, because of this sorry episode, then I would ask that Daniel Johnson does bring that to the attention of the Cabinet Secretary for Health and Social Care, and I'm sure he will take that up uh, with NHS Lothian. I'll also ensure, I'm sure Daniel Johnson does have the contact detail, be more than happy to pass the contact detail on to Daniel Johnson of the appropriate individuals within NHS Lothian, who I know are taking this matter with the utmost seriousness. Question number six, Pauline McNeill. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to reports, the Scottish Water has issued bonus payments to executives in excess of public sector payrolls. First Minister. The criteria for paying bonuses to Scottish Water's executive members are agreed by ministers ahead of each regulatory period. These are in line with public sector payrolls, which state that we need to attract and retain highly experienced personnel to run vital public services. The current remuneration package for the CEO and senior management team uh, is significantly smaller than that paid by comparable utilities, both in terms of salary and indeed bonus incentives. Thank you. Call Stephen Kerr. Uh, oh, my apologies. I think we can afford Polly McNeill a supplementary question. Yeah, yeah. Is it a heart attack there? <laughs> Thank you, Presiding Officer. It was reported this week that three executives of Scottish Water had received nearly 1.1 million bonuses in 2021. But this is on top of a six-figure salary, and despite the fact there have been 14,000 sewage spillages in last year alone, which begs the question why they did qualify for performance bonuses. But the same executives are withholding a pay rise from their workers unless the staff accept a new pay structure and the poorest would be losing as much as 5,000. So I have to ask the First Minister, uh, what's gone wrong here that a public sector body 
is paying public sector executives who seem to be a law into themselves, pay themselves vast amounts of money, where there are existing failures and customers to be asked to pay even more for the infrastructure. Can this First Minister justify this in a public sector body? First Minister. I think Pauline uh, McNeill's characterisation of Scottish water is uh, deeply, deeply uh, unfair. First and foremost, I understand when it comes to the pay negotiations that these are ongoing. My understanding is they were ongoing until the early hours uh, of the morning, and I'm pleased that discussions are ongoing. And I do hope that strike action can be averted even at this last minute uh, and at this uh, last uh, hour, because this government, of course, has a very strong track record of when it comes to ensuring that workers are uh, paid fairly. In terms of remuneration, I had mentioned, of course, that Scottish Water does have to be competitive. If I looked at, for example, the CEO's salary, it is, of course, a high salary, £245,000. Compare that to Welsh Water, where the base salary is £341,000. Or United Utilities, where the base salary is £971,000. Now, the reason why I mention that is because these are from salary comparison tables for 22-23, is that we have to make sure that Scottish Water is able to attract uh, the best uh, talent right across the country and indeed right across uh, the world. But these uh, remunerations, when it comes to the bonus uh, element uh, of any remuneration uh, package, uh, bonuses are only paid in the event of outperformance of demand targets that are, and this is crucial, verified by independent regulators. Stephen Kerr. Uh, thank you. The First Minister will be aware of the damning report on drinking water by the Drinking Water Quality Regulator for Scotland. Sue Petch, the regulator, called out a backlog of maintenance, uh, neglect on, of the maintenance of assets, and said that this posed a, quote, real danger to human health, and has issued an enforcement order. Now, the First Minister is accountable for Scottish water. So what is the First Minister going to do to ensure that this enforcement notice is carried out and this backlog is properly dealt with? First Minister. Well, we will ensure that Scottish Water invests significant amounts of money uh, over the coming period. In fact, Scottish Water will invest £4.5 billion across 21 to 27 uh, period. That investment programme is supported by government borrowing of up to uh, £1.03 billion pounds and £880 million pounds was invested in 22-23, upgrading essential treatment works water supply and uh, sewer networks. In terms of Scotland's uh, water quality, we know uh, from SEPA uh, that 87% of Scotland's entire water environment is assessed as having either a high or good classification for water quality. But in terms of the enforcement notice, which is uh, Stephen, Stephen Kerr, uh, of course, is right to, to, to raise, it is my full expectation, uh, of course, that Scottish Water uh, will comply. There's much demand, of course, for supplementary questions. If we can keep our questions and responses concise, we'll get more members in. And I call Willie Rennie. Uh, sewage dumped 14,000 times last year. Faecal bacteria 50 times the legal limit in Lower Largo. Dry sewage dumping in St Andrews. How on earth can the First Minister justify such whopping bonuses when those Scottish water bosses are responsible for such failure? First Minister. I've just mentioned the fact that 87% of Scotland's entire water environment is assessed by SEPA as having high or good classification. But I've also made the point, which really Rennie clearly did not listen to, that when it comes to the remuneration of the awarding of bonuses, uh, they are for where, of course, uh, performance targets uh, have been met and exceeded. 
and of course uh, they, are be, they are independently verified by regulators. And it is important that for a public company, publicly owned company like Scottish Water, that they are able to compete. And the CEO's base salary uh, is far lower than many other comparative water companies, utility companies right across the UK. Thank you. We move to general and constituency supplementaries and I call Rona Mackay. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The news of 450 jobs being cut at Reach PLC is deeply concerning and speaks to a wider issue of resourcing and journalism. Does the First Minister agree that with senior exec executives withdrawing bonuses in the millions of pounds while hard-working journalists are thrown in the scrap heap, the real loser in this is our very democracy? First Minister. Yes, I do uh, agree with that wholeheartedly. Report, reports of any job losses are, of course, uh, concerning, especially for the workers involved and indeed uh, their families. But more than that, in this particular case, we know that a free, a vibrant, independent press is the very bedrock of a functioning democracy. We want to do all we can to support the sustainability and the diversity of journalism in Scotland. So I would urge uh, media organisations to be investing in the sort of quality journalism that is so important in an open society, not making the cuts that have been reported and that Rona Mackay is right to raise today. Alexander Burnett. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Now, there is a protest happening outside Parliament today for new routes home to recognise those who are locked up in hospital. And I welcome families of these patients in the chamber today, including constituents of mine, Tracy and Natalie, mother and sister of Kyle, who has been locked up for 14 years. Now, hundreds of autistic people and people with learning disabilities are stuck inappropriately in out-of-area placements, hospitals and secure units, dozens of whom have been there for over a decade, a millennium of lost years in captivity. So as we approach the March 2024 deadline in the coming home report, can the First Minister say what the Scottish Government has done to get these patients home? First Minister. Officer, can, I, can I credit uh, Alexander Burnett, who has raised this issue on uh, many occasions on behalf uh, of his constituents? And we are, as a government, absolutely committed to delivering the coming home recommendations to reduce inappropriate hospital stays and out-of-area placements experienced by people with learning disabilities and complex uh, care needs. Uh, what have we done? Uh, I can ensure that we get a, a fuller answer to Alexander Burnett, but to give him some examples, uh, we've launched the new dynamic support registers, one of the very key recommendations to improve that local case management of people with learning disabilities uh, and complex care needs. That is a very important step towards achieving coming home, the coming home vision, uh, which will help local areas to plan for people with learning disabilities and complex care needs to live in their home communities. We've also developed a practitioner peer support network and a national support panel to support local areas to share best practice. And we've provided £20 million under our Community Living Change Fund to integration authorities to design community-based solutions that avoid or limit future hospital use and indeed out-of-area placements. We all want, I know Alexander Burnett will agree with this, to support, uh, to ensure that people uh, are supported to be in a home that is absolutely right for them and as close to their families and in their communities as possible. Jackie Bailey. The First Minister may be aware that NICE and the SMC have determined that cystic fibrosis drugs that are literally life-saving will no longer be available on the NHS because they consider the drugs to be clinically effective but not cost-effective. It is important to say, though, that those already receiving or can be Simkevi and CAF-TRIO will continue to do so 
but new patients will not. And the First Minister knows that cystic fibrosis is a life-limiting condition. So can I ask the First Minister, will he meet with CF families and work with the UK government to negotiate a more acceptable cost from the drug manufacturer, Vertex, to literally save lives? First Minister. Can I thank ja Jackie Bailey? Can I thank Jackie Bailey for raising a very important point uh, indeed and of course uh, we will continue our engagement uh, with uh, drug companies, with the UK Government uh, and of course uh, the Cabinet Secretary uh, for Health regularly meets uh, with families that have been impacted uh, and uh, affected. Uh, what I would say to Jackie Bailey is that uh, existing patients, uh, of course it is important to make this point and she, uh, to reiterate the point that Jackie Bailey made, existing patients uh, on a treatment for cystic fibrosis will continue to have access to the existing treatments after NICE has issued uh, its final recommendations irrespective of uh, the outcome. However, I know that there are discussions that are ongoing. I know the Scottish Medicines Consortium uh, is collaborating with, uh, with, with NICE on a joint multiple technology appraisal uh, of several cystic fibrosis medicines, including uh, CAF uh, TRIO. Uh, the SMC will publish final recommendations aligned with NICE guidance for health boards in Scotland to uh, consider. But I think the suggestion from Jackie Bailey is certainly one that we will seek to take up uh, in relation to those conversations and engagement with the drunk companies themselves. Karen Adam. Thank you, President Officer. I was delighted to see the new and updated British Sign Language Action Plan released this past week. And I want to thank the First Minister for his help and support with my continued work in this area. Can I ask the First Minister how this plan will support British Sign Language use in Scotland? First Minister. Well, I think the whole Chamber can recognise the incredible work that Karen Adam has done in relation to British uh, Sign Language. And I want to pay tribute uh, to her efforts in this regard. We are absolutely committed to making Scotland the best place in the world for British Sign Language users to live, to work, to visit uh, and indeed uh, to learn. The BSL National Plan 23-29 to 29, uh, contains 45 actions to help us meet this very ambition. We recognise that to deliver our aims, we need to ensure the BSL community are at the very heart of the decision-making process. That's why we're establishing an implementation advisory group to support this plan, hold us to account, but also to inform our thinking in the delivery of each action. This group will be made up of organisations representing BSL users, the deaf and the deafblind community. It is important to note that this is not a static plan that will continue to evolve to ensure our actions tackle the barriers faced by BSL users in their everyday lives. Ross McCall. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, First Minister, alarming figures from Fife have shown that violence and bullying within our schools is at unprecedented levels. The local authority staff reported almost 3,500 physical attacks and threats in just the last year. 6,480 pupils reported being bullied during the same time period. And the response from Fife Council's anti-bullying policy is that punishing bullying is counterproductive, so nothing will happen. First Minister, do you agree with this policy? And what do you have to say to the thousands of young people in Fife who are victims of bullying? First Minister. Look, I think it's really important for an issue of this magnitude that we are uh, characterising the situation absolutely correctly and accurately. Rose McCall, uh, of course, is right to raise the very worrying uh, issues and concerns that we have about violence and bullying in schools. I know the Education Secretary has had now two uh, summits uh, on uh, school behaviour and there's another one I think due uh, very, uh, very uh, shortly. She's also met with uh, parents, with teaching unions, children's organisations, 
and representatives right across the education uh, sector. Um, on, on the 25th uh, of October uh, uh, last month, attendees shared their experiences of relationships and behaviour approaches and discussed potential solutions to ensure safe and consistent environments uh, in schools. And as I say, that followed on from the very first meeting which took place uh, in uh, September. Uh, the discussions at the events have been constructive. There's been some very good suggestions which the Education Secretary will seek uh, to take up in relation to uh, more specific uh, issues that Ros McCall may have. Then I would ask her to continue to engage with the Education Secretary on these points. Paul Sweeney. Community link worker posts are set to be reduced from 64 to 42 in Glasgow from next year. One Glasgow GP this week told the BBC that these cuts could result in lives being lost. And I understand the government has put a funding offer to the Health and Social Care Partnership in Glasgow, but that was rejected. Can the First Minister please provide an update on discussions with the Health and Social Care Partnership and advise what options remain to save these, save these critical and cost-effective roles in some of our most deprived communities. First Minister. Uh, can, I, can, I, can I join with Paul Sweeney, on, uh, Paul Sweeney in recognising the importance of community link workers? I think uh, all of us that have community link workers in our constituencies have seen the invaluable service that they provide. Uh, and uh, every single GP practice, for example, that I have uh, spoken to uh, sees them as a really valuable member uh, and critical member of their staff. Uh, Paul Sweeney was right to recognise that the Scottish Government have offered additional funding uh, that doesn't seem to be enough, according to the Glasgow Health and Social Care Partnership, uh, in order to continue with the full provision of community links workers. We're continuing to engage with them and expect to be able to update Paul Sweeney uh, and those in the Chamber that have an interest with this, uh, hopefully at some point next week. And Ash Regan. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The First Minister will be aware of the serious fireworks-related disorder in Nidri just a few days ago, and constituents have written to me and told me about how terrified they were during that time. Will the First Minister join me in condemning the violence, particularly the attacks on our emergency services? And I'd also like to take this opportunity to stress that incidents such as these should not be used to talk down the communities that I represent. Would the First Minister agree with me that a ban on fireworks is only possible with the full powers of independence? that the government should implement the Fireworks Act of 2022 as a matter of urgency? And will he consider additional resources to hotspot areas such as my constituency of Edinburgh Eastern? First Minister. Uh, can I uh, say that uh, first and foremost, we condemn in the strongest possible manner <coughs> the violence and the reckless actions that we saw, not just in the members' uh, constituency, but in other parts of the country as well. Let me also then pay tribute to our emergency uh, workers, in particular our fire officers and police officers who were on the front line, and say just how despicable it is, of course, that they were uh, under attack in this way. Uh, in relation to a wholesale uh, ban, it's my understanding that uh, it's not within uh, our uh, competency, but we will seek to do more. Whatever we can do within legislation, we will seek uh, to do. That is why we have brought forward legislation uh, and regulation over the years, of course, most recently in relation to the Fireworks and Pyrotechnics uh, Article Act uh, 2022. We we'll continue to work with our local authorities to see what more we can do in relation to additional resource. That is a fair uh, request. What I would say, finally, of course, is that it should not require government legislation or regulation to know that you shouldn't be firing fireworks at police officers or fire officers. So those, of course, uh, who are responsible, my hope is that as the police investigation is ongoing, 
uh, if they are found to be guilty of such behaviour, then they feel the full force of the law, Presiding Officer. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions.